Blog Talk Radio. This is all about wine on Blog Talk Radio, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some, some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Call our guest line at any time during the live show at area code 646-727-3235 and let's talk about wine. Again, the phone number to call is 646 727 3235. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Here we are. Longest day of the year. Welcome to All About Wine. We are live. At 7.01 p.m. Eastern Time, it is 6-21-2018 is the date. If you're not listening to us on that date, we're not live. So, we do not have Mike tonight. He was uh, scheduled for something else and couldn't get out of it. So, you're stuck with me. Which is sad because I love him in the background, finding out stuff and following up with things and all that that, well, be just good at research. So we're without Mike. And also my engineer is under the weather. She uh, had a dental appointment today. And so she is out of it also. So you're really stuck with me tonight. Beautiful day. Rain around the area. But we are getting a pattern where we're getting some rains here on the coast of Florida in the morning, and it moves on the west coast, moves into the inland throughout the day, and by the evening, it's hitting the east coast because there's a high-pressure system setting down off the tip of Florida, and it's pumping it around like that. So, bus people are hot and humid, and maybe, well, they shouldn't be wet because the rains have moved out of here. It's evening time, and they should be in good shape, so... Relax, bus people, have yourself some wine and enjoy the program. We have information for you tonight. We don't have uh, any guests, I'm sad to say. But we've got some information for you tonight, a bunch of stuff to talk about, different things and all. And I'm going to jump right into it. Again, if you want to call, 646-727-3235. I will... Come and talk to you for a minute, and uh, I could bring you on the air, but again, you know, be nice. So, again, 646-727-3235, and we can talk about wine. Keep that in mind. It is all about wine. First, a little bit of trivia. I told you I'm going through this trivia thing here, this trivia phase. I've got some trivia for you. First one is Champagne Vineyard Ratings. This is really quite interesting. France has numerous classification systems. Some rate the estate, some rate individual vineyards, and some 
as in the Champagne region, raid villages. The very best Champagne villages, and by extension, all of the vineyards that surround that village, are designated as Grand Cru. These are the best. There are 17 of these. The next best villages are called Premier Cru, and there are 40 of these. Finally come the villages rated just Cru. Now this Cru is C-R-U, not C-R-U-W, Cru, C-R-U. Regular villages Crew, which there are 264 of those. Unfortunately, there is no way of knowing from a champagne label whether the grapes came from vineyards in Grand Crew villages, Premier Crew villages, or simply Crew villages. But the number of Grand Crew villages is so small that in general, only a big name champagne house House's top wine, or a prestige cuvee, will come exclusively from Grand Cru vineyards. Some of the famous ones, Dom Perignon, that is from the Moet Chandon house, La Grande Dame from the Vieux Cucou, I always pronounce that wrong, and Crystal from Roger. So, if you're looking for champagne, it's not going to tell you on there, but I suppose you can look it up. If you're really curious, get on the Internet and look it up. And a lot of times it's a, it'll give you information you want, so you can do that. While we are on trivia, let me give you another. Call me Krug. The name Krug, K-R-U-G, is magic to the ears of most champagne lovers. For Krug, expensive, classic, and artistic in aura is often heralded as the champagne among champagnes. For lovers of American history, now this is American champagne, too. You've got to realize that. Moet Chandon and stuff like these are French, but uh, Krug's American. For lovers of American history, then, it's rather curious to learn that soon after Krug was introduced in America in 1843, it became renowned for the diversity of its labels on bottles of champagne intended for the American market. Now, the way this is talking, this is an American. Well, I may be mistaken. It shows you how much I know about my champagnes. I'll have to look that up and find out. One such label depicted George Washington and the Bald Eagle. Others carried a proprietary name such as Missouri or Gout American, which is American taste. During the gold rush, one of the most popular crude champagnes was labeled Bonanza. Nothing to do with a TV show. So, I'm, I will look that up. I'm curious about that. I always thought crude was American. I'm, I'm not, not up on my champagnes, obviously. So, that's, uh, I'll read something else, give you a little bit more trivia later in the program. So let's see what we've got here. Uh, uh, oops, no, that's not what I want. Before I forget it, let's jump back to this here. Uh, here we go. Whispering Oaks. Whispering Oaks this weekend. I got an email from them. 
And it says we are going to have a busy weekend at Whispering Oaks. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday steak nights. Reservations are available. Tasting room opens 11. Tours start at noon. And you can make a day of it sticking around for live music all weekend. Steak nights include your choice of a 16-ounce steak, porterhouse, or ribeye, or wild-caught Alaskan salmon. Oh, I love salmon. I had a good salmon the other day. Went to Olive Garden and had salmon. I loved it. Extra-large Idaho baked potato, fresh green beans, ranch-style baked beans, salad bar, and pumpernickel bread from our wood fire oven. Twenty-seven fifty per person. Tax and gratuity is not included in that. Reservations are suggested 352-748-0449, or you can go to www.winesofflorida.com slash steak-night. They are located, Whispering Oaks Winery, at 10934 County Road 475 in Oxford, Florida, they are uh, uh, nice place. Got goats leading up to the to the winery and all that. I interviewed the owner, or the I'm sorry, not the owner, winemaker of Whispering Oaks uh, a couple of years ago. I guess it's been now. So you can go back and listen to that interview and tell him. Very intelligent guy. He's got himself a doctorate degree and been over to China and looked at the wines over there and stuff and the winemaking. So a lot of fun. Great place to have yourself an evening. They got a lot of room inside too, so you don't have to worry about any type of inclement weather or too hot for you to be outside. They got a lot of inside room. But that's coming up all weekend Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, Whispering Oaks Winery. All right. Um, okay. Great connect. I'm, I've got a new. website that sends me information about grapes available for purchase, bulk, bulk wine available for purchase. And it's pretty interesting. It's got different types and where they're from and what it runs a gallon. I have not contacted them. I don't know if you have to buy the whole quantity or if you can buy partials. I haven't pursued it, but it is a lot of fun. For example, bulk wine, the varietal is Chardonnay, the vintage is 2016. They have 20,400 gallons. It is uh, AVA of Columbia Valley in Washington. Uh, price per gallon breaks down to $6.75 per gallon. So you can buy the whole amount and you can do the math. Um, plus shipping, I'm sure, if you're going to have it. They usually ship in, in barrels and stuff. So you have to pay for that. But that is, well, let's see. It says view. Let's click on view and see what that does for me here on this particular one. Yeah, it does. Okay. Uh, good. It, it breaks everything down on this, too. Uh, hmm, let's see. Date posted was the 14th. Farming practice, conventional type bulk, estimated pH 3.55, Chardonnay. Uh, 
The rider details alcohol 13.9, total acids 6.9, and pH is 3.55. Washington, AVA, Columbia Valley, Vinci's 2016, uh, Vineyard, 20% deposit. Uh, let's see, titratable acidity 6.9 grams, volatile acidity 0.66. Uh, a lot of information on this stuff here. Uh, current listings from seller, just a Chardonnay. Similar listings, if you're looking for Chardonnay somewhere else or in this, some other grower, it has that. So this is all listed for every one of the wines on here. So Grape Connect, if you're interested. <coughs> Excuse me. If you're interested in looking at this, just, just for giggles. It is grapeconnect.com, and uh, you can subscribe to it, and they'll send you a thing every few days. Now, I, I come through it, look at it. I just enjoy looking at that stuff. You may, you may not. I'll give you an idea of what things are going for. And if you're really in the mood to bottle a bunch of wine or you like a particular wine, here's they've got Melbeck, uh, Cabernet, and Sauvignon Merlot. Uh, Red Blend, Syrah, all sorts of stuff. Oregon, Washington, uh, all over the country, actually. Good, fun site to get an email on. So, uh, Great Connect, G-R-A-P-E-C-O-N-N-E-C-T dot com. All right, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, oh. All right, here we go. First one we got, we're going to talk port industry. Port industry is changing. Port industry is witnessing what they call a moment of major change. And it says that uh, speaking to the business, uh, drinks business, uh, recent trip by the um, oh, who is this guy? This guy is uh, Adrian Bridge. Uh, he's a expert in port. He says port's value sales are growing, but volume is declining. Um, in the past, port used to be the cheapest wine available on the market, which is not good or sustainable. The port industry is witnessing a moment of major change driven by table wine movement, and it is causing prices to go up. Many port houses have moved into table wine production. Major players like Taylor's, which produces one in every three bottles of port drunk around the world, has chosen to stick to port. The business grew by 7% last year. And to serve this growth, they need more port and more grape suppliers. But again, a lot of the grape suppliers are going to table wine. If uh, they were to make a dry wine, there is a reasonable expectation that it should be close to 100-point wine quality. They're choosing to make port as they have done for so many years, going against the grain of port being, uh, of grapes being used for table wine. Average price for uh, 
they, they call it a pipe of grapes in the Dural region, which is the port region, is around 650 euro. And table wines sell for a third of the cost of port. So it doesn't mean that there won't ever be make table wines in the port region, but it is uh, more time and effort to make port, but it will continue to be made. You will start seeing a little bit more of a cost, no, excuse me, a cost increase in port, but it is going to be a slow process. It's not going to be something you're going to see overnight, but uh, get your ports, buy your ports, and uh, enjoy them. Uh, let's see, you're talking about people visiting and the low cost of flying to the Portugal and the port region and all that. So, uh, uh, worldwide, port's pretty popular. It's not nearly as popular as uh, as nearly as popular in the United States, but it is really popular worldwide. And because it is so popular worldwide, port continues to to grow. But in the United States, it has it well. Not enough people drink it, and those who do appreciate it, but it's not something that people branch into. It's not something that people look into uh, expanding to when they go out to buy wine. Port is usually not on the list. In the United States, port is usually uh, a special occasion wine, something like champagnes. So, all right. Future of wine, China, climate change, technology. These are things that we're looking at in the future of wine. Uh, the future of wine is, has changed. Technology has changed a lot. Uh, it's not like it used to be. The China market has definitely taken its toll on wine. It is now one of the biggest markets in the world, and it's being sent to wine is being sent there by millions of gallons. It's just amazing how much is being sent there. Uh, whether the wine costs $10 or $100 is a failure to educate people. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a difference in what's going on, and it is becoming a problem. Climate change. Uh, others may dispute that it's happening, but climate change is obvious, and it is taking its effect on things around the world. Uh, in 1970s and 80s, for example, the grapes in the Burgundy region had 9% residual sugar during harvest. Now the level is at 13%. The rising temperatures are making the grapes uh, retain some sweetness. And so a lot of the vineyards are moving into the hills or further north. Um, the Netherlands uh, is now making a Pinot Noir. So it, the climate change is starting to take its effect. I hate this website, if I may make a note of it. There's all the floaty things that run around the screen on you. And I, you know, it's not ads, it's just... You know, stuff. And the traditional schedule of growing grapes and harvesting them is completely different. Nothing's predictable anymore. I used to talk to them, when I interview people, I say, when is bud break? 
and when it's harvest and more and more people are starting to say, oh, it used to be now, but we're getting bud break earlier, or it used to be harvest at this, but the harvest has changed also. Uh, the United Kingdom has a range of uh, affordable grapes now. Pinot Grigios, Merlot, Sauvignon Blancs, Rosés, Prosecco, Shiraz, and uh, no, it's not really called Prosecco. Uh, this guy's used as an example. So, it is changing, and the industry is changing not just in Europe, but also in New Zealand, Chile, South Africa, California. It, it's just it's a, it's a different type of wine growing now. Technology also is changing and taking a different. Drones, drones are being used in the vineyard more and more and more. They check for disease. They check for drought. There are sensors in vineyards. You've got vineyards that have sensors all over. These sensors tell you what the soil is like, if it's too dry, if it's too wet, if it needs to have uh, anything done to it. There's all sorts of things out there. Uh, small robots also are going to vineyards for pruning. They're just little, little small pruning robots. Kendall Jackson is trying those out already. And New Zealand wineries are almost fully automated now. It's, it serves two purposes. Number one, keeps their cost down, and also it will keep the cost of wine down. Uh, the market uh, is really to increase and promote wines. Uh, you can use scans. Uh, you can scan labels. You can... Uh, put on a pair of virtual reality goggles and walk through a vineyard by scanning a label. It'll just guide you right through it. Uh, all this technology. Uh, recent app used at a show in Shanghai. Uh, within 35 seconds of a picture of the label on the bottle being uploaded to the app, it had identified the wine, given its details, and offered an opinion or I'm sorry, not opening option to buy on the spot. There's no need to wait to find a wine shop or know how to pronounce the name of a wine. Uh, if you like it, you can buy it right then. It's just with the new apps and stuff that are coming out, you can just get it then. And with the shipping now, you can probably have it shipped to you in a matter of a day. Uh, the taste trends, too, are changing. Uh, now you have wines that are finished in bourbon barrels. And, in fact, they're promoting that on the labels. Uh, and it's starting to appeal to people, too. The uh, audience at the uh, show in China said they never sell white wine in China because they don't drink chilled drinks. But... It is changing there, too. The tide is turning on reds, dominance, and it's starting to change to more white wines in China and in different areas. Uh, there are more and more changes in people's taste. Also, the organic boom is taking its effect throughout the world. This is changing. This looks like maybe something in the future. The organic wines and even biodynamic wines could be more important and more sought after. And marketing. This is always the big thing in the wine industry, marketing. 
and marketing is being affected by technology and everything else. When you market wines, you want people to know what it is, what it tastes like, what it's about. You want them to to buy your wine, and so people are asking, you know, what is this like? So there's lots of different ways that they're going at marketing now to get people familiar with their particular wines. Uh, consumers walk into a wine shop saying this is not a good experience. They want something that is more friendly, like, uh, you know, bookshops with cafes or maybe bookshops with a wine section and single-serve wines. You walk into a coffee shop, you can get a cup of coffee. They want wine that way, too. So they expect that to be something that you're going to be seeing in the future a lot more is wine made friendly. And that's really what it's all about. So, the changing future. Lots of things going to do it. I think technology is going to do the big thing. Personally, I think technology is going to do it. And global warming is changing where wines are growing, how they're, or where grapes are growing, how they're growing. And because of that, it's going to make a difference in what well, what the wines are like and what they're doing and all that. So, you know, hang in there. If you're young and you're listening to this show, you've got an exciting future in wine ahead of you. If you're older, you'll probably see some changes also because these things are happening very, very quickly. Speaking of something that's happened very quickly, excuse me, the marijuana industry I keep talking about this, but it's it's becoming an impact on wine. I keep saying it's getting worse and worse and worse as far as the impact on wine. And guess what? Southern Oregon, the counties of Jackson and Josephine, is becoming wheat country. Uh, the legal cannabis in those areas have actually outpaced the vineyards. And the two counties alone are home to more than a quarter of the state's cannabis licensed applicants with nearly 1,000 applications. And with just over 40 wine-related businesses operating in Jackson County, including wineries and vineyards, the cannabis industry has surpassed it. Uh, 37 farms and nearly 20 dispensaries now employ 439 people. That's 89 more than the wine industry. Uh, it's happening. Uh, the Tribune also noted, and this is from the uh, Tribune area, that cannabis industry pays slightly higher than wine producers and that uh, compared to wineries and vineyards, the farmers get uh, a little bit more than what they do in, in wine. Sales of cannabis is predicted to be in the United States uh, over a $75 billion business by 2030. Uh, it's probably will surpass it before then. I, I would suggest it's going to pass that $75 billion before then. Uh, the falling prices in Oregon have an effect on it because of supply and demand. There's just an oversupply there, but that works with wine and it works with cannabis. 
Uh, a pound of cannabis went for $1,500 uh, last summer. Now it's around $700 a pound, and it's affecting the farmers. The overproduction is cracked, uh, probably cracked down by the state attorney in Oregon, saying that you know we need to watch the numbers. Where it's starting to affect all of us and everything. So, and speaking of pot, I don't know if you've heard, but Canada, the country of Canada, has legalized recreational marijuana. Takes effect, I think, October the 15th or somewhere around there. It's just an odd date uh, for some reason. Usually we pick the first of a month to start something. Theirs is in the middle of the month. I don't know why. But the whole country of Canada now is going to be recreational marijuana friendly for what it's worth. Okay, so uh, Southern Oregon, it is, it's changing, it's happening. Now, somebody needs a show called All About Pot because it's, it's all over the place now. Uh, this one I was going to tell you about, but as I read the article earlier, Canada buys only about $10 million in Washington state wine, but yet it's still the largest export. Uh, The British Columbia is the second largest wine and grape producer after Ontario. But the BC is the closest neighbor to Washington, and it's it's affecting the sales there. So the British Columbia is playing games with the shipments coming in and out of that area because of what's going on with uh, tariffs, and they're picking wine as their what their, their their tool for repercussions so it's it's an ongoing fight it's something that isn't settled I, again I, I was going to read this and it it talks about the the wine war the, the Canadian papers are calling it the a wine war because of uh the uh, tariffs and yeah, what's going on back and forth there. If you're interested, you can read it to seattletimes.com. Uh, it's well, one weird trick British Columbia uses to keep out Washington wine is the article. It was from first of this month, actually, it came out. Wow, that's just now hitting this one. So, but again, uh, a, a wine war, if you will, in uh, Washington, British Columbia over there. This was interesting. I saw this simply because Hitler wine bottles. Uh, really, Hitler wine bottles? You, you think, wait a minute, I thought that stuff was pretty much forbidden everywhere, but 
Despite complaints from the anti-fascist groups, wine bottles featuring Adolf Hitler will remain on sale for the time being in the Italian city of Rimini. The mayor said his hands were tied when it comes to regulating products. The wines come from an Italian winemaker, the Vina Lunardelli, and it's part of his historical series collection, which depicts dictators ranging from Napoleon to Hitler. The Hitler series, titled Der Fuhrer, includes pictures of the dictator and Nazi slogans. The company has previously stated that the wines were meant as a as joke gifts. I don't know if I'd want that. It'd probably be a collector's item before long, though. I mean, the way people collect stuff. Uh, he said he's received complaints over previous bottles, and he claims that it's nothing more than uh, just uh, a series of his, uh, a historical series uh, with these different dictators. Uh, received reports that there are at least five to six times a year. Uh, as long as the new law is not approved, all attempts can achieve nothing. So, you know, they try to stop it and it doesn't do any good because, say, you know, it is legal as far as that goes. The historical series products have faced controversy since their creation in 1995 with the Simon Weisenthal Center calling for a boycott in 2013. The Simon Weisenthal Center is a Jewish uh, group that is... um, Holocaust. Yet the company's website says that about a half of their wine production is devoted to creating the series called Cult Objects Among Collectors. So it is legal in uh, this town to have the Hitler bottles uh, on the shelf. And they have other people too, Napoleon, all sorts of stuff, but Hitler is the one, in, especially in uh, Italy, you can imagine the the repercussions from that. So I just I thought that was interesting there. Okay, let's see what we've got next here. Oh yeah. I didn't see this. I was in Walmart today picking up a package my wife had ordered and I didn't see this. I should have looked. I, I forgot about this. Walmart has a private label wine. Now I think I mentioned something about this Oh, two or three weeks ago, if not longer, saying that they were coming out with a private label. Well, it's here. The uh, information that they give on it, it says Walmart has introduced winemaker selection, a new private label wine collection, in about 1,100 stores across the country. The new line includes 10 private label wines sourced from wineries in California, France, and Italy. Now, Dominguez, Walmart's senior vice president of snack and beverages, told the Arkansas Online that most of the wines retail for $11 and drink like $30 bottles. Yeah, I'm sure they do. This rollout is consistent with Walmart's focus on private label groceries aimed at bolstering Store loyalty, improving sourcing and quality, and lifting profit margins. Uh, 
Sam's Club, a division of Walmart, introduced its Members Mark brand last year. And uh, at the same time, Walmart launched uh, similar rollouts from Trader Joe's, uh, Target, Little, Aldi, which means the retailer also has some stiff competition. Uh, wine is growing at 6% annual sales throughout the industry, and they wanted to jump in on it. Uh, the uh, sheer size Walmart jumping into this space will likely incite other grocery retailers to try their hand at private label wines and could even threaten some traditional wineries. Yeah, I don't think so. However, this launch doesn't mean Walmart will easily win over new shoppers from its competitors. Walmart's $11 price tag is significantly higher than Target's California Roots private label at $5 and Trader Joe's and Little's wine options, which is as low as $3. Aldi and Little have many award-winning varieties and strong uh, connections to winemaking regions through their European footprint. So, I, I did tell you a story about Oh, wow. It has to be. We opened in 2001 at the winery, Florida State Winery, 2001. At 2007, I think it was, 2007, we contacted Cash and Carry Supermarkets, which is a chain that is now defunct. I, I, they were bought out and everything. But we contacted Cash Carry. We actually were talking to corporate headquarters. Their owner was located in up in uh, Delahaye's up in Maine. We're actually talking to the owners and all sorts of people to make a private label wine for cash and carry. And it was going. It was moving. It was happening. We were we had everything laid down. We had prices for them. We had samples of what we were going to do. We had the whole bit. Um, you know, the presentation and they were interested and even the corporate office was interested. And then cash and carry started to have financial problems and that ended our private label venture with cash and carry. It was fun though. It was fun. It was fun playing with the big boys for a while there. We already had a place where we could make it. We were looking at all sorts of stuff and everything, but Never happened. But the private label, even back then, like I say, 2007, uh, this was happening. And maybe if they did get our private label, they wouldn't have folded. Who knows? But Walmart, private label. I, you know, if I see it, I'll, I'll get some, see uh, what. It tastes like if it's worth it. Um, what do we? Yeah, I'll pick up some. All right, let's see what else. Uh, there was something here that I was going to. What do Rome stall mean? What What does Rome? You hear that all the time. Made in the Rome stall. What did I find? See, see that? That should be right here. And I am not. Why is that? Yeah, okay, Mike, put on the 
Jeopardy weight thing because I'm trying to find it. Um, but Mike's not here, so you're going to have to listen to me mumble. Uh, no, I don't know. I can't find it. Oh, there it is. Interesting little thing here. What do we mean when we say Rome style? Rome style wines are everywhere from restaurants on your wine list uh, to just everything. But what does this mean? From grape varieties to flavor profiles, here is a little cheat sheet to try to help explain Rome style. Okay. That it is <laughs> basically a little bit of everything. Oh no, I don't want to subscribe. Uh, the wine world makes a distinction between Northern Rhone, which runs from the town of Venay to just south of Valence, and claims Syrah as its chief red grape. Southern Rhone, south of Valence to just north of Avignon, these grapes are Syrah, Grenache, Maverde, Sensol, Carignan, and Canois are made into the red blends, while they also have Marsan, Rosan, Guignet, and Claret as white blends, uh, blended for white blends. So when you speak of a Rhone style, you're looking at uh, northern Rhone reds with Syrah big, bold, spicy wines with a lot of tannin structure in youth. And the southern Rhone reds are blends and are based mainly on Grenache and have a rounder, warm, red fruit flavors. So what does a Rhone wine taste like? Well, again, it's just northern Rhone. You're going to get a big, bold wine. It's going to have uh, tannins, and it probably should be aged a little bit longer, although it's probably not going to have as much tannins if you buy them in restaurants or stuff um, as you would find in the big, bold wines. Uh, they do have very long aging potential. Uh, Northern Rome whites are aromatic, full-bodied wines, and usually aged in oak and a malolactic fermentation, making, you know, you go through a very creamy wine. Uh, most of them, most of these, you know, are, are full-bodied and just a lot of texture and everything, very herbal aromas. Southern Rome red blends are based on Grenache, have a warm fruit, red fruit, and tend to have higher alcohol. Uh, these are earthy, herbal scent, uh, comprised of uh, bay, lavender, rosemary, juniper, uh, that type of aroma coming out. Whereas the whites uh, are more simpler, uh, are simpler wines, uh, summer wines. Uh, they can be very complex in age, though. Chateau de Pop. Uh, Blanc, which is aged for a few years in the bottle to make it better. But uh, these tend to be a little bit lighter. So when you say Rhone-style, that gives you an idea of what, what they're meaning. Um, 
Bonnie Dune, Cavendish Creek, and Paso Ropos, a couple of them that uh, really do make some great wines in the Rhone style. Uh, also, Virginia, uh, Michigan, they're doing a great job of copying the styles and those. So when you say made in the Rhone style, that gives you a little bit of an idea of what they are talking about. Uh, Walmart wine, I just told you about that, I think. Yes, I did. Uh, and let's see. Uh, what is this here? Another article. Uh, most amazing region you've never heard of. This is an article out of Wine Folly. And they're talking about the... Uh, Okanagan District of Canada, actually, uh, British Columbia. We were just talking about British Columbia. Okanagan District. It, uh, it is in British Columbia. And if you're looking at the fact that British Columbia is the second largest grape producer in Canada, this could be an excellent, excellent area. And... Reasonably affordable. The wines coming from that area are really quite uh, reasonable. <coughs> Excuse me. The uh, about two thirds of the world's ice wine production happens in Canada, and uh, uh, Okanagan, I think that's pronounced Okanagan, has a reputation for being another ice wine region of Canada. Uh, it's best for wines, dry red and white wines. And if you love a Syrah or blend, uh, Merlot blends, uh, the Okanagan area is great for that. Uh, also, Chardonnay, Riesling, Sparkling Wines, and Pinot Gris um, are fantastic. And each one of those that I just said are all made into ice wines, too. It's uh, Okinawan, northern Okinawan. It's the 50th parallel. It runs through the northern part of it. Lake country, it's what it's called. And there is an enormous lake that runs down through it uh, and rivers. Uh, it lies in the outer limits of its culture. It's at the 50th parallel, which is really at the northern edge of where wine is considered best. It... Uh, has uh, different regions uh, in the north and the central Okanagan. You have Prairie Valley and uh, wineries there. Notable wines in uh, the region, Riesling, Chardonnay, Pinot Gris, Pinot Noir, Bordeaux blends, and sparkling wines. In the southern region, you've got... Uh, you know, more lakes and rivers run through it and valleys and all that. So it is a uh, big region, a lot of area, northern edge. And this article mentions all the wines that grow and tells about 
each one and also it uh, talking about when you go there the terror for Okinawan was the Okinawan Valley was once a huge glacier so the soils are mostly sandy with a white clay silt on top and uh, gravelly glacial sands, limestone, granite, and other gravels of ancient volcanoes. So, to sum this up, the soils generally have high aromatic intensity, minerality, and subtle tannins. And because it's so far north, too, you, you've got cold nights, and uh, the sweetness develops well in the wines, and uh, the uh, acid can be pronounced in some of them. So, uh, the Okanagan region of Canada, that is British Columbia, and you can check out those. What's this? Wine tasting, if you go there, runs around 5 to $10 Canadian, which is only 4 to $8 U.S., uh, because the exchange rate is great. Uh, if you buy a bottle, they waive the fee. There's 11,000 vineyard acres in the Okinawan Valley. The area is very seasonal. It's snowy in the winter with little tourism and traffic and jam-packed and hot as hell in the summer, as it states in this article. Late spring and early fall are the ideal times to visit. Uh, best way to avoid other seasonal traffic also. Um, many of the wineries have a bed and breakfast, vacation rentals, and on-site restaurants. They also have great Hiking, backpacking, cycling, skiing, water sports, and camping. With all the lakes and everything, I would not be surprised at the water sports. In terms of quality, some wineries are great, others are average. And that applies everywhere. So you know, pretty much goes without saying, I think, on that comment. Um, bring something and keep your bottles in. It's hot in the summer, and that's the time that they do business, and it will cook your wine. So be sure you transport them properly. Or as soon as you buy them, run down the UPS office and ship them, which won't do you any good because you're shipping across the border, and there's all sorts of paperwork and stuff you got to fill out. And lots of mosquitoes because of all the lakes you're getting lots of mosquitoes, so all the wet area. But a great region. I I have had wines from that region, and they the ones I've had, I was really, really impressed. Uh, I didn't buy them. They were given to me. But it's uh, some, some good wines from up there. So you can do a trip, look for them in the store, or however you get it. But Okanagan, uh, again, for the fact that I probably destroyed the pronunciation of the word. It's spelled O-K-A-N-A-G-A-N. Okanagwan. 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 So, some of the wines, you see Bordeaux blends and Pinot Noirs and Rosés. Well, this thing large, so I can read it. No. I was trying to read the wineries on it, but I couldn't. But something to look forward to or something to look for in the stores or maybe plan a trip. If you're listening, I know I have a listener out in Oregon. You know, jump up there, get a chance. Okay. 
Corcoran's. Okay. Oh, yeah. This is. <laughs> I'd never heard of this before. And I saw it and I go, what? What are they talking about there? Corkland's. Uh, compounds called Corkland's found in cork stoppered wines. Uh, I just, uh, well, it was first reported back in 2015. Phonelic compounds that are naturally present in cork stoppers will migrate into the wine in a linear fashion over time to form new compounds, and such compounds have been shown to reduce color deterioration and astringency in wine. Almost sounds like a good thing. Significantly, in a new development, they have given the name Corklands. Following a paper published in the Journal of Agriculture and Food Chemistry in September 2017, C-O-R-K-L-I-N-S, Corklands. Uh, drawing attention to the new name and the creation of these compounds was Ameren's Director of Research and Development. Ameren is a cork-making company um, during a discussion in Portugal. Quote, having studied the composition of quartz, we have found that there is a structural fraction and an extractable fraction, which contains phonelic compounds. Continuing, he stressed that such compounds, which include tannins, phenols, and polyphenols, are the same that, as those found in oak barrels. Cork is, after all, the bark of a cork oak. Drawing comparison with cask and cork, he said, when we put wine in a barrel, there is an extraction of the phonelics from the barrel into the wine, and it's the same when we put wine in a bottle sealed with a cork. Hmm. The uh, compounds is, of course, far less significant from a cork stopper than an oak barrel. And a wine sealed with cork would contain less than one-tenth of those extractable compounds compared with a wine barrel. And that would be even lower with algomerated corks, which is pressed corks. Nevertheless, it's been showing even at low levels, the phenols from cork stopper will react with ketchichins and malvadins in the wine to form new and bigger compounds that will affect the color and astringency of the wine over time. And there's larger tannin-derived compounds that have been called corklands. He also said that the humidity in the headspace of the bottle at almost 100% was high enough for phonelic to migrate from the cork stopper into the wine when the bottle was stored upright. So, Save it by storing it on its side. Furthermore, you observe different levels of extractable phonelic in cork. And now the big research at the University of Portugal is to find out how much and what is happening with it. Uh, the, uh, let's see, he said that it 
copper, such as Redu, is employing the same technology to grade oak staves, according to phonelics that will be released into the wine. A natural cork stopper will release tiny amounts of oxygen into the wine in the first six to eight months after it is inserted into the bottle, and this comes from within the cells of the cork as it is compressed. Okay. The network inside a cork is complicated with millions of cells, and so the air escapes slowly and then less and less. He also recorded that there is more oxygen in natural cork than micro-amalgamated cork because the latter has glue in it and is therefore more dense, so less oxygen is released. And you see, yes, it does. Well, I have to argue. I, I still I need to show this to some people who corrected me a few years ago, and I'm still upset about that. Uh, this is mostly defined wine, so this isn't going to be your, your bottle that you pick up at the store that's been sitting there for the time it took to ship from wherever it was made to the shelf to the time you buy it and open it up. Uh, more quality in the cork really is not going to make a difference. You're still going to get corklands in them if you age them. So all of you out there aging your wines, you may be plagued with corkland. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to start noticing. I do have wine stored. Now I'm going to open them up. I'm going to have to start taking a closer look at all these and see if I might have corkland in it. Which is supposed to affect the, it's supposed to help maintain the color and, and uh, be better for it. Higher astringency. Reduced color. Deterioration and astringency. So, should be good. Corkland might be a good thing. But, New thing just found named in 2017, September 2017, Corkland. All right, let's see. Do I have something else to talk about here? Corkland story. All questions from the Master of Wine Test. We have talked about the Master of Wine Test before. And let's see, what day is that? There we go. We've talked about the Master of Wine Test before. Uh, all the questions on the Master Wine Test is published. And it's like, oh my gosh, they're timed and stuff, and it would drive you crazy. That's why they say it's so difficult uh, to do the Master Wine Test. Uh, it's a two-stage questions, and they're not easy. And if you're contemplating it, then... You know, you need to study. From June 5th to the 8th in London, over 160 aspiring psalms sat for the test. Uh, in London, San Francisco, and Sydney, according to the Institute of Masters Wine. Uh, so it's not just in London, but uh, or not just London, but also San Francisco and Sydney. Uh, Participants were subjected to three 12-wine uh, blind tasting practical papers as well as five theory papers on viticulture, vinification, and pre-bottling procedures, handling of wines, the business of wine, and contemporary issues. 
The first steps involve answering questions about wines in a blind tasting. The wines span the gamut, including multiple vintages of Dom Perignon, uh, Domaine de Cavalier Blanc, Domaine Biscuit de Papas. 2014, as well as some familiar new world names like Ravenswood and Yellowtail. Yes, Yellowtail. Students who passed the Stage 1 Practical and Theory were allowed to set for Stage 2 exam. And of course, those who passed Stage 2 will qualify to take the legendary Stage 3 exam. This is the test. Registration for the next round runs until July 17th, which, <clears throat> excuse me, you can sign up for it if you like. Excuse me, I take a sip. Uh, Master of Wine Exam 2018. Question number one. Wines one through four are all made from the same single grape variety with reference to all four wines, identify the grape variety, 20 marks, for each wine, identify the origin as closely as possible, discuss quality with reference to winemaking techniques used. That's question number one. Question number two. <coughs> Excuse me. Now that's for the wines you actually have sitting in front of you. Question number two, wines five through 10 are all made from different single varieties and are from different countries. For each wine, A, identify the grape variety, B, identify the origin as close as possible, and C, discuss quality with reference to winemaking techniques used. Next question, oh no, I'm sorry, that's, yes, next question. Wines 11 through 12 are made from the same single grape variety with reference to both wines. One, identify the grape variety. Two, identify the origin as close as possible. And three or C, comment on winemaking quality and state of maturity. Okay, oh, and then they do this, not the wine center in front of you. They do have the wines listed here. I'm sorry, I didn't see that. So the first one, is the Chardonnay Yellowtail 2017 from Southeast Australia. National Chablis Grand Cru from 2012, Burgundy. Three, Red Shoulder Ranch Chardonnay, Schaefer Vineyard 2015, Napa Valley, uh, California. And they go on with all these different ranges of, of wines and Chardonnays and Rieslings and just a little bit of everything, and you have to basically know everything about each one. Practical paper number two talks about Western European origins, and basically the same type of question. Questions one, two, and three, and then they have these wines listed from all over the world again. Uh, France, Spain, U.S., New Zealand, um, California, Oregon, uh, Chile. Practical paper number three, same thing again with a whole bunch of different wines from all over. Theory papers, 
three questions to be answered, one from section A and two from section B. Here, one of the questions on section, in many wine regions can produce wines at a wide range of price points. Referencing at least two of such regions, compare and contrast methods of managing vineyards for high price wines and low price wines. That's from section one, one question. Second, re referencing at least three wine regions, discuss how climate change is influencing grape growers' viticultural practices. You need to write a paper, uh, an essay on, a theory paper on that. And then there's six possibilities for, or, I'm sorry, four possibilities for section B. Uh, one simple one is the use of cover crops worthwhile in viticulture. You need to run on that or uh, others there. Theory paper number two is vinification and pre-bottling procedures. You need to be able to do that and talk about um, how chemicals um, affect and um, make a difference in the winemaking. Handling of wines is a big section on that. Business of wines is a big section on that. Contemporary issues. There's a section on that. And this is the master of wine. This is why there are so few people with the designation of master of wine. Uh, Irene King, uh, Las Vegas, took the test. I, I don't know if she done. I really need to get a hold of her. But she said that it is a tough, tough test. So if you're interested, it's still open until July 17th to register. You can jump in and do it anytime. Uh, another bit of trivia here, and I will close it off for this week. And I have to go take care of the engineer. She had a major mouth surgery today, and so I need to take care of her. This is, and since I just talked about mastermind, the best sommelier in the world. Every three years, dozens of nervous sommeliers from around the world compete for the title of best sommelier in the world at the Concours du Maudure du Monde, which I destroyed. The sommeliers come from countries that are member nations of the ASI, which is Association de la Sommelier Internationale. Each country can be represented by only one sommelier. The United States was accepted into the ASI in 1992, though no Americans have ever won the concourse. Still, even the semifinals, the competition for choosing the American delegate, can be daunting. Participants undergo three days of intense technical questions on viticulture, enology, wine list management, spirits, beers, coffees, teas, waters, wines, wine and food pairings, wine storage, wine etiquette, wine service, and interestingly, cigar service, which has been traditionally a part of the sommelier's responsibility. Of course, there's also a blind taste test during which participants must identify wines from around the world. The last person to win the U.S. semifinals and earn the title Best Sommelier in the United States was Lawrence O'Brien, who won when, uh, won in 2000. He was a sommelier of Emerald's Restaurant in Orlando, Florida. 
So tough test if you want to, you know, get yourself up there at the top of the rung. Start studying young because it's going to take you some time to do that. We're done for the night. It's uh, I could tell you some more stuff here, but I got to save some save some for next week. Um, the uh, Oh, another thing I was going to tell you is the article there, storing wine on its side is nonsense. The wines we get, the wines we drink, that would make sense. But if you are aging wines, just like I read, the corklands will affect it as they're laying on the side. So you really, really do need to store wine on its side, except for the new ones and the young ones. And that's not going to make a difference too much. If you're going to age it any more than a month laid on its side, other than that, it should be okay. So keep that in mind. Uh, so, oh, all questions from the master test. I just read that. Uh, next week, we'll be back. Mike should be with us. I don't believe he's going to be missing next week. And we'll have some more discussion about all about wine. I don't, you know, I I have to say, if you called in and I didn't see it, then I apologize. I don't think anyone called in. But I was, when I start doing this other stuff, I don't look at the uh, studio uh, and see what's going on. So you may have called in and may have missed you. If you did call in and I didn't miss you, I apologize. Actually, it's best to call when Mike's here because in that way he sees it and can talk to you before he brings you on. So, done for another week. Thank you for tuning in. We do appreciate it. Thank you for listening on Archives if you're doing so. Longest day of the year is almost over. I think the sun is already set, so we're done with the longest day of the year. It's going to start getting darker now. Be safe out there, and uh, we will be back next week. What is next week? Today is the what, 21st. It'll be 28th of June, so June 28th, our next show, 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Drink lots of wine, be safe, and we will see you next week. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. All About Wine.